0: To the audio event of the century featuring two lifelong best friends we love the leafs we love each other but most of all we love william nylander welcome to the buds all day
1: podcast. hello and welcome to the buds all day post-game reaction podcast i'm sats Mundine here with lebda's legacy how's it going everyone And we're going to recap the Leafs' final regular season game tonight, a 4-2 loss to the Winnipeg Jets now. I know all of you out there listening probably are similar to us in that you didn't really care about this game. And with that in mind, we're going to kind of, we'll go through a bit of the game, but we're going to kind of take a bit more of a seasonal approach to this and kind of wrap up the regular season, given that it was the last game before the playoffs. Uh, But with that said, we will get into the game itself first. And the Leafs got their goals from Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikheyev. If you needed any proof that this game didn't matter, while the Jets got their goals from Appleton, two from Kyle Connor and an empty netter from Jensen Harkins. Now Lebda, what did you think of this absolutely riveting, riveting match?
0: Yeah, I don't I'm not going to spend too much time there. This game didn't really matter. Neither team played with a lot of intensity. Unfortunately, Morgan Riley wasn't the one being scratched by the Leafs, and that was pretty much the difference in this one. So, with that being said, the deserved to win a meter was at even, pretty much even 50%. I think it was 50.3% for the Leafs. Uh, possession numbers at 58% for the Leafs. Scoring chances four at 56. High danger, Corsi for 60%, and expected goals at 58% for the Leafs. So, if you really want to, you know, take some notes from this, the Leafs definitely outplayed the, the Jets in that one. But again, like I said, Morgan Riley, plays on the Leafs defense so that was the major major difference between the two teams
1: yeah coming into this game the main thing I wanted was no injuries and we escaped with no injuries so I'll call it a success from that perspective Uh, you know didn't want Campbell to look too bad and did he have his best game no but didn't lose any confidence in him tonight so yeah, just just not a game that you really cared about and you could tell that the there was a gentleman's agreement going into this game, I think Maurice and uh, Keith kind of both referred to it. You could see it. I watched the first 2 minutes of that game and I saw about 3 guys do the banana instead of finishing their check and I was totally okay with that. Don't don't need to lay the body. Both teams just show a little respect for each other. Don't you know, don't try to stay out of everything and maybe hurt yourself by not trying to get hurt, but there's no need for that extra bit of oomph on the body checks or anything like that on a night like this.
0: Yeah, I think maybe this game should have mattered a little bit more to the Leafs than it did to the Jets just because if the Leafs did win this game or I think even get a point, then they would have potentially avoided uh, Vegas or Colorado in that third round. But, I mean, that's looking really, really far ahead. The The most important thing was not getting injured. They did that. Scoreboard is what it is. I think Jack Campbell played quite well. He definitely played well in the first period bunch of those goals were just stupid turnovers a two-on-one like not not much he could have done there so all in all it's kind of a successful evening for the Leafs
1: yeah they wrap up the season with 77 points in 56 games so right now they are sixth in the NHL so with with an eye to that third round potential matchup the teams that are ahead of them are Colorado and Vegas so one of those teams will probably get through to the third round and then two teams from that uh was it the East division that it was? No, I don't know. Whatever division Tampa's in, it was Carolina and Florida. They finished ahead of the Leafs, while Pittsburgh also finished ahead of the Leafs on some tiebreaker because they had the same amount of points. So all in all, it doesn't matter too much. You never know who. like you. We could all of a sudden look, and it's Minnesota in the third round or something, right? So like you said, the most important thing was to come out of this healthy, and they did that, and that's pretty much all I could take from this game
0: yeah exactly uh like we could spend all this time analyzing a game but i don't even think the coaching staff from either team is going to analyze this game because it was pretty clearly just a game of pond hockey out there tonight
1: yeah like you said the only the only thing that i could really point to is how morgan riley was awful he was minus three took the leafs only penalty on a bad penalty looked absolutely terrible on the power play passing up good shots and then taking bad shots but Again, I if I'm not gonna criticize other players for not playing well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too hard on Riley either. We've seen what he is this year. He he and Brody have have made for a, a very solid pairing. Uh probably more so to due to the fact that Brody is so great at covering for Riley's mess ups, but there's no denying what an offensive player he can be. So let's just hope he doesn't have any of these moments at a critical point in a playoff game.
0: Yeah, like the, the biggest thing with Morgan Riley is he's a very talented hockey player. You cannot deny that, but it's between the ears. I don't know if, you know, I don't, I don't want to say anything too crazy about it, but he clearly is just not a very smart hockey player. And when you take a hockey player that's already not good at making decisions and you, you know, remove his, you know, super desire to play well in a game, I think that's what you see out of Morgan Riley. So hopefully it is just him you know, taking the night off a little bit and it's not going to carry over into the playoffs.
1: So with that said, do you just want to get right into the, uh, into our top moments of the season now then?
0: Yeah, let's get right into our uh, season recap.
1: So we'll each give our top moment of the season here. So I, mine's a bit more of a comedy moment and it was early in the season, Jake Muzzin pretty much single-handedly derailing the Calgary flames all by flicking a puck one one mile an hour at uh at the crest on matt kachuk's chest
0: yeah i think that highlights the calgary flame season just down in a big old pile of tears because like i've never seen a more pathetic reaction from a hockey player to something so you know little happening on the ice like it's a little flick to your chest and he gets up and tries to be a big old tough guy and every single leaf on the ice is just laughing in his face at the reaction. And then he skates over to the bench all in a big huff and slams the door. And you can just see his teammates around him being like, what are you doing, dude? And then I think he even punched like a stick rack or some kind of thing on the way he by threw his
1: water bottle. Yeah, like, he got, he got all pissed off about it. And I, I think they said it, it turned out to be that the, the thing he was angriest about was that his teammates didn't come to defend him. But it's like, dude, you're Matt Kachuk. You do stupid shit every game. Your teammates aren't going to be there for you every single time so it just yeah. and from that point on the flames like at that point of the season I think it was maybe like the sixth or seventh game of the year for for both teams and Calgary was still kind of viewed as like a, a potential playoff team obviously that early in the year potentially even to give the Leafs a run for that first slot and I don't know if that was the reason but I hope it was because that, that would be hilarious if that's what derailed them
0: well, I mean, I'd, it's probably not the reason because that's pretty extreme, but you could definitely see that that dressing room wasn't a good good place to be. I think that highlighted it a little bit. Their coach got fired. They brought in, you know, a bit more of a general. So I think there was maybe a little bit more to that than just a flipping the puck and him freaking out, like, only on the night. But, <laughs> like, it's so hard to, like, you see those clips in YouTube videos and it's so hard not to just be like what like, what were you thinking, dude? He's just such a piss baby. He would get, if we had a piss baby of the year award, we'd give it to Matt Kachuk every year.
1: Every year. This guy, this guy can dish it out, but he can't take it. Right. So I think that's enough. Uh, I think that's about all the coverage that the Calgary flames need for their entire season, because they were as pathetic to watch as they were in the standings. So with that said, Lebda, what was your top moment of the season?
0: Yeah, we kind of had a little bit of a debate behind the scenes here when we were taking notes and deciding. We kind of went one way or the other. Uh, hat trick for Vancouver, I think was our close third. Uh, but for me, I, I settled on Austin Matthews' 40th goal. It, I mean, the goal was nice. It was a big moment, but I think just it represents what the season was for Austin Matthews scoring 40 goals in 50, what was it, 54 games, 51 games actually that he played in. Like it, it's, that's just ridiculous ridiculous goal scoring and then just for that nice even 40 number to hit on the end of the season it's just a big boost for him
1: yeah and he ended the year with 41 and it's just you consider i think i think after tonight's i think that's 52 games played on the year for him and to score 41 goals when he had that three goals in 10 games stretch to when he had his bad wrist you you do wonder if he didn't have any wrist injuries could he have scored a goal a game this year
0: I, I said it to my dad tonight. I was like, if that man did not hurt his wrist, I can almost guarantee you he scored 50 this season. Like, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that 100 times. 50? Oh, totally if, if, if we can hit that little replay button, go back to that moment in time and avoid that injury somehow and then just hit play from there on, I think he easily hits 50. He He's definitely rivaling goal a game this season if he doesn't get hurt
1: absolutely and and with that said it's kind of a good segue into our next segment which is the top three players of the year now you and i shared the first two so we'll go through those guys first and since we were just talking about them how could you not give the star of the year to austin matthews
0: yeah i think this is an easy number one it's just so easy you don't really have to break down the numbers if you know the lee fans are listening like you just know austin matthews was our best player this year uh 41 goals 25 assists and 66 points in 51 games like that's just a re- ridiculous ridiculous stat line and he does that on a line with marner and hyman who was one of the top five lines in hockey all year he you know doesn't sacrifice too much on the defensive side like he's just an all-around great player and i don't think there's any argument that he's the second best player in the league this year and he's probably the second best player in the league period
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna take your defensive argument a step further now I'm looking at evolving hockey's goals above replacement stat here, and it it ranks players by percentile. So 0 to 100, 100 is the best, 0 is the worst. Matthews was like in the top, I guess it goes to 99. No, So Matthews was in the 99th percentile overall, 99th percentile for offense, and 84th percentile for defense. So the man brought it on both ends of the ice this year. He was an absolute force to be reckoned with all season. And that is with a hobbled wrist for a for a good majority of the year, so speaking of the injuries, I am just so so thankful that he's okay and even if he's not at a hundred percent, whatever percent he's at, it's working,
0: yeah, whatever percent he's at, he's still again, like I said the second best player in the league he he and he honestly gives Connor Mcdavid a run for money now I mean Connor Mcdavid's over a hundred points on the season, which is absolutely ridiculous but do, that do, should not diminish the fact that austin matthews scored 41 goals in a in a 52 game season for him like it's just ridiculous and i think you know to be honest I, I think there's no surprise who the second guy on our list was and i'm just gonna segue it here like a lot of that does have to do with austin matthews being amazing but also having a line mate like mitch marner really really helps him out too marner was incredible he he actually led the Leafs in
1: points. He had 67 points in 55 games, so not as high on the points per game uh, list as Austin Matthews, but still an absolute weapon. 20 goals, all at even strength, which would put him at a 30-goal even strength pace for a full season, which is elite, elite territory.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that not enough people are talking about. Like, Mitch Marner had 20 goals on the season. You kind of read that, and you're like, okay, you know, good. Good for him. He's not known as a goal scorer. But every single one of those coming out 5v5 in the shortened season, like, that's absurd. Like, it's not Austin Matthews' level, but that is absurd for a player like Mitch Marner who's really just not known for his goal scoring. And then, yeah, boom, 47 assists, like, to go on with that. Like, just – he took it to a next level. Him and Matthews both took it to a next level, and they're one of the main reasons why the Leafs team is, you know, the best team we've seen in, I don't know, two decades or something like that. But, yeah, just a really, really good season for Mitch Marner.
1: Yeah, it really it really could be the best team in a couple decades, and this is definitely the best uh, top two tandem of forwards we've had. And Marner is – he's just making a ton of people eat crow on – who criticized his contract when he signed it. If he the level he's played at, he has been worth every penny in the regular season. Now he does have to bring it in the playoffs because he had he did have a disappointing playoffs the last two times around. So if he can continue this level of play into the playoffs, I mean, there is no chance you can argue the value of that deal. And and just going into the the advanced statistics here from evolving hockey, by by goals above replacement, he was 93rd percentile offensively and 93rd percentile defensively. So I know that the Selkie Award usually goes to centers with good reason because they have a larger impact on defense than forward, than wingers. But as far as wingers go, he is, he is one of the top, top guys in the league defensively as well as offensively. And just having such a well-rounded tandem to rely on as our first line. And then you throw in Zach Hyman too, who is as solid as they come defensively. That is, that is a line that can go against any team.
0: Yeah, like, they're one of the top five lines in hockey. That might even be underselling them a tad bit, but, I mean, there's a lot of good lines in hockey. But, yeah, I think in terms of Mitch Marner this playoffs, I think he's probably the leaf with the most pressure on him, to be honest, because he was very poor uh, last year. He seems to be one of those guys in the past that maybe did take his foot off the gas a little bit and disappeared in games. Now, like we just spent, you know, some time saying that it's clear Matthews and Marner are on a new level. So if they continue that into the playoffs, I mean we talked a little bit earlier about maybe wanting to avoid Vegas or Colorado but if those two play how they have in the regular season like we give any team a run for their money
1: definitely that new level is the crucial thing here i think i think it, it is clear that they are they have stepped to another another pantheon of players and they are just i that is why i have so much confidence in the leafs in this playoffs which we will reiterate in our upcoming uh, leafs habs playoff preview coming up I won't get too, too into it, but that is a big reason why I have so much faith in this team going forward. Now, the third star for me, it was between two guys, two guys who play a very, very similar role on this team. One is a new guy. One has been here for a couple of years. It was between Muzzin and Brody because they are both such steadying presences on each of the top two pairings. I really, I was tempted to go with Brody just because of the way that he's complimented Morgan Riley and almost not even complimented. He's covered up Morgan Riley, but I just have to go with Jake Muzzin. This guy just continues to impress me. His defensive capabilities are off the charts by evolving hockey. Again, he is in the 97th percentile defensively a 92 overall. He brings it on the defense on the offensive end too. And I honestly think that his injury was the only reason we lost to Columbus last year. And if, if if he and Brody are able to stay healthy, I mean, the sky is the limit.
0: Yeah, if you look at how bad the Leafs' decor was after Muzzin's injury last year, like it's no surprise why him being out would have that kind of effect. Yeah, it, it, it's impossible to argue that Jake Muzzin does isn't deserving of this role. We say it countless times on this podcast. Jake Muzzin is the perfect NHL defenseman, like style wise. Any NHL defenseman's going to make mistakes. Like I'm not calling him a perfect player. But like his offensive impacts, the way he um, handles things defensively, he takes Justin Hall up a level or two. You look at you know Drew Doughty since he he's left LA, like he just elevates the, his defense partner so much. So I think Jake Muzzin being your top three is just absolutely valid. and Just a great great season for him this year.
1: One of the, the most underrated players definitely on the Leafs and potentially in the whole NHL. I don't think he gets the respect he deserves from other teams. I, I think other fans just think we're overrating him because we're league fans. But you said it best. That Dowdy-Muzzin pairing was exceptional. Everybody thought it was Drew Dowdy. Similarly, actually, to how everybody thought that the Brody-Giordano pairing was all Mark Giordano. But I think Kyle Dubas might have a little bit of a of a keen eye for figuring out who's really running things on a defensive pairing.
0: Yeah, and I think Kyle Dubas knows what he needs in a defenseman. He needs someone who's really good in their own zone. Brody and Muzzin both are, but also someone who can, you know, not be a black hole offensively. Jake Muzzin, obviously a little bit better of a offensive defenseman than TJ Brody, but both these guys are just so well-rounded. They do all the little things well, and there's just not really a gap in either of their games.
1: No, and even if you just look at Muzzin from a straight raw box score stats perspective, 26 points in 52 games, a plus 20, like that's a 40 point pace for a 42 point pace for a de- defenseman. Like what more can you ask from a guy? And I'm just, I'm just so much more confident in our defensive abilities with he, he and Brody each running a pair. Now, who did you have for your final star of the year?
0: Yeah, so I don't, you know, obviously I don't disagree with the Jake Muzzin. He had a fantastic year. In my opinion, though, I don't think there was anyone else I could put in number three except for Jack Campbell. The guy just had such a good season for us this year. Started off so hot. You know, that big record, no no losses to start the season. Ends the season with a 9-23 21 games played. He had a bit of a dip in the season, and then he's rebounded. So those kind of questions are, oh, was this just a hot streak or whatever? Or, oh, can he handle, you know, a starter's load going forward? He's answered all those questions for me. And just, he's he's been the complete solution for the Leafs and net.
1: And there were a time, although it's we kind of forget that there were scary times throughout the year but right before he came back the Leafs were they were really faltering with the piss poor goaltending they were getting and Campbell just came in and there was I remember thinking that first game he came back I believe it was against Calgary um, after we had lost a few in a row and I came into the games that like there was so much pressure on Jack Campbell because he had had those first two games good that were really good but then he got hurt And everybody was expecting him to play so well. And especially with the way Fred had played there, they, it was so necessary and people were just counting on him so much. And he came out and I don't know if he posted a shutout or he led in one goal, but he came in and he shut the door that first game. And he honestly hasn't looked back the way he was able to recover after that quick little three game struggle in the middle of the year has given me so much confidence. And there's sure there are questions. Can he handle a, you know, a starter's load in the playoffs this year? We'll never know until we see it, but he was able to handle a starter's load during the regular season.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ray Ferraro said in the broadcast today, he's like, you know what? Some guys just have really good seasons and that's who they are for the season. And he's like, I think Jack Campbell's having one of those. This is too long of a streak to just be a hot streak or just a good, you know, a little bit of a run and play like this genuinely could just be Jack Campbell. The season now playoffs are a little bit of a different animal mentally, but I think, you know, There's no fans in the building. So I think that does take a little bit of pressure off. Now this Leafs team is expected to do great things. So there, there is lots of pressure surrounding Jack Campbell, but every question he's had around him this year, he's answered. So, I I really think that this is just going to be another one of those questions that you know fans, media members have about Jack Campbell that he's just going to answer and at least be good enough for the Leafs to win. Maybe you know the Leafs don't make it to the Stanley Cup or win the Stanley Cup, but I really do think it's not going to be because Jack Campbell, you know, really falters in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And I, a lot of the discourse I hear on sports radio and podcasts and stuff is, is when is the, when is the pull coming for Jack in the playoffs? After how many games does he have to play bad for you to put Freddie in? And I just keep thinking to myself the whole time. I hope the Leafs don't talk about this. Like the guy has played great for, he's only played 23 or 24 games, but he's played great for all of those games. Fred has been an absolute sieve. I I don't think they need to go into the playoffs with the mentality of what. how long is his leash. I think you need to go into the playoffs with the mentality of this is our guy. We're rolling with him. Unless he comes out and he is absolutely the worst goalie ever and lets in like seven goals and six goals in the first two games, I'm rolling with him. Especially given the fact that there's a back-to-back between game three and four. So you're going to use Freddie at some point anyways. Campbell this year, he's had 8.8 goals above expected. And a 923 save percentage, a two point one one goals against average. He's just he has been so important to us. He without him, honestly, I don't know where this team would be. I know we'd be in the playoffs, but there's no guarantee we would we would be in that first seed because we were only about one or two points up on second
0: place when he came back. If you look at the Leafs' two biggest losing streaks of the season, or their two really only losing streaks of the season, they got like 870 goaltending during those times. Most of it was Freddie Anderson. There was, like we said earlier, there was that little dip in play by Jack Campbell that, you know, did have a little bit mini uh, slide for the Leafs. But, like, he's just come in and he's done so much better than everyone's expected. I I think it's hard to, you know, really doubt him if you're in that locker room right now. Obviously, Sheldon Keefe, he's a coach of a National Hockey League team. He's thinking about all these things. He's thinking about... You know, who's my backup going to be? Like, he does have that in the back of his mind. But there is no chance he's letting that get out into that locker room. Like, everyone in that locker room is going to rally around Jack Campbell. This is our starter. This is the guy we're going to ride or die with. This is the guy who's going to get lift the cup second, you know, after John Tavares if, if they win. Like, there's just... When they win? When they win, sorry. Um, I just don't think there's any doubt in that locker room that Jack Campbell is their goaltender.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the talk about it and is just trying to fill airwaves, just trying to find ways to fill the time because it's not a discussion. There was even until about a couple weeks ago, there was even talk about, well, is he even the game one started? It's like, yeah, he's played 19 games and he's been like 30 points better by save percentage than Fred. He's going to start like it was never a debate. Now I think this is actually a good way to segue into our most disappointing player of the season. And I'll give that one to you, Lebda, because I know yours is somewhat relevant to this conversation.
0: Yeah, there's no, probably no surprises for anyone listening who the most disappointing leaf of the season was. It's Fred Anderson. He sucked this year. Straight up, point lake, boom, gunshots fired at Fred. You sucked this year, man. Like, he, honestly, he almost derailed the season for the leafs. It's almost lucky he got injured in a way because then there was no reason to you know, keep playing him and trying to force him back into form. Jack Campbell could just take the net, and the Leafs had an actual NHL-quality goaltender in net for them going forward. So they could lock up first place. You know, they could look like the dominant force that this team actually was. But, I mean, Fred Anderson, like, honestly, his play this season is probably taken a multi-year contract off the table for him. At least it should. If I'm an NHL GM, I'm not touching him with a six-foot pole. But, like, he's just was so, 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 so bad this year.
1: I, I agree with a lot of what you said, for sure. I He was he is definitely my most disappointing player of the year. I'm a little less harsh on him in the fact that he was playing through injury at times, so I don't know how much of it was totally his fault. But we, we've said it on this podcast a lot of times. It's not just a this year thing with Freddie. It's been since December or November of 2019 where he has fallen off a cliff after his injury. He's just been straight up bad. I saw that. Someone who was defending Freddie posted a stat. They basically broke his season into three segments. So if you remember, he got off to the very poor start in his first few games. Uh, That first game against Montreal, he was terrible. Like after the first three or four games, he had like an 870 save percentage. And then this person was saying, well, in the second chunk of the season, before he got injured or whether it was before he got injured or whenever his play started to drop, either way, he had a really good chunk, this person was saying. And so in that chunk, it was I think it was about twelve to thirteen games. His save percentage was nine fifteen over those games. Is that bad? No. Is that what we would would we take that from from Jack in the playoffs? Sure. But it's not like he was even lights out in that. Like like if you're if you're segmenting the season into certain parts and you're cherry picking, you know, parts where a guy was good and all you can come up with is like a thirteen game sample where he had a nine fifteen sandwich between like two eight seventy periods of play i'm sorry that's not going to cut it he's got an 895 save percentage in 24 games this year and as scary as it is he's probably going to get the start in game four and all i can say is i hope we're up three nothing when it happens
0: yeah cherry picking that little stretch of fred where he had slightly above nhl goaltending is like being like hey there's a quarter in my poop like oh yeah i have a quarter but but everything around it is still shit like it, it doesn't doesn't make up the fact that he was so bad the rest of the year. He was just one,
1: he was just one big brown stinky corner all year long. Now my like since you picked Fred, my my most disappointing player is a little bit more difficult. I considered Kerfoot, I considered Mikheyev, but I mean. They're okay, like they weren't terrible. Would I have liked more than twenty-two points in fifty-five games from Kerfoot? I mean, that's not even that bad of a number for a guy who was supposed to be a, a third-line center. And I know, like both of their metrics, advanced stats-wise, weren't great. But I'm actually, I'm gonna go off the board here, and I'm gonna say Miko Letnin was my most disappointing guy because I remember before the season started, a lot of people were saying this guy tore up the KHL. Watch out, he's coming for the top four. He could be, like, I I saw so many, like, reliable hockey people saying this guy is definitely going to be one of the least top six defensemen. And they, they thought he was, like, a certified top four defenseman, and he was not.
0: Yeah, he was not very good. Now, let's put a little context behind this as well, so it's not just us dumping on him. I think that's a very valid you know, most disappointing of the season because of the hype. Now, uh, this year, we didn't really have a training camp. He's coming over, playing on different ice, playing in a new league. So there is maybe some stuff surrounding it, and it's on a Leafs team that's expected to do so much, so there's no real room for growth with him. But also, Zach Bogosian probably, you know, played a little bit better than most people thought. Travis Dermott probably played a little bit better than most people thought. And you're not gonna take Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Jake Muzzin, or even really Justin Hall at this point out of the lineup. So there was competition for him. But yeah, he 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 just didn't didn't do anything in a Leafs uniform. And for all the hype, like people were wanting to ship off Morgan Riley. People were wanting to trade Dermot for literally nothing just to make room for this guy. Thought he was the big, you know, answer on the power play. And it just goes to show that you know, you can have all these promising things in different leagues, whether you're a prospect, whether you're an older guy like Miko Lettinen, but until you actually get to the NHL, like it's just a different animal. I couldn't have said it better.
1: It is, it is a completely different beast. And it's why, like, prospects are great, but at the end of the day, if you, uh, You know, if you need to make a deal at the deadline to get a certified NHL player and you got to give up a prospect, sometimes that's the right move to make because you just, you never know. Sometimes you just have to take the sure thing. And I like that the Leafs, uh, they did take care of him. They they knew they weren't going to be playing him regularly. So they sent him off to Columbus and he played 17 games for them, had three points. He had a negative 6.6 Corsi relative to his team. So he was, the team was 7% worse possession wise with him on the ice. So it didn't look like he really recovered there either. And yeah, he just, he didn't cut it for us, but that's enough negativity for one, for one podcast. So I'm going to get into our biggest surprises of the season. Now, this one was a little tougher. I'm going to throw it to you first.
0: Yeah. I, I think surprise of the season, there was so many to choose from. It's kind of the opposite of most disappointing of the player to choose from. You know, Fred Anderson was the only really obvious one. And other than that, you're just like, these guys had, you know, maybe slightly disappointing seasons, but it wasn't too crazy. But as far as surprises, I think my biggest surprise was Zach Bogosian. Like, when the Leafs signed him, there was so many people being like, oh, no, like, here's Cody CC 2.0. Like, this guy's just a big old plug, just not good possession-wise. You know, he's just a big old sieve out there. And then he comes out um, – solidifies that bottom pairing before he got hurt, had 52% possession on the night, 50 or on the night on the season and 55% expected goals on the season. And those are both five V five stats in 45 games played him and Travis Dermott were a really, really good bottom pair for the Leafs, very reliable in their kind of roles. So I think for me, Zach Bogosian really played a lot better than I ever thought he was going to.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I, I actually, even though I'm very like statistically minded, I like the signing at first because he was somewhat average for for Tampa in the playoffs last year, and I don't. It's hard to read into any stats from Buffalo, so I was okay with it based off of that, and just based off of the fact that he's one of those guys who's going to take advantage of the rule book being a lot smaller in the playoffs, and he's going to you know clear the net front, do those things that you kind of want from third pairing defenseman, steady guy. So I had those expectations coming in and he honestly surpassed them. Like he, he would actually surprise me the odd play, like the odd game when, you know, he just makes a head fake on a guy and a quick pass off or like you, there are, there are flashes when you see like, Oh yeah, this guy was a fourth overall pick not too, too long ago. Right. So yeah, he was a, he was a very pleasant surprise for me. Now my surprise of the year, we already knew this guy was really good. We loved him. He's He's everybody's favorite grinder, but he just took it to another level this year and that was Zach Hyman. I'm on a
0: new level. I mean, what can you say about Zach Hyman other than he just took things to a new level this year? Him, Matthew's Marner, we mentioned it earlier, one of the top 5 lines in hockey. He's just such a direct player. Like he gets the puck, he goes to the net. He does he does these things that just complement those highly highly skilled players well. And, you know, not only compliments them, but he also adds to it because he has been putting in the goals and he puts in the work. He penalty kills. He does so many things for this Leafs team. He's obviously one of the favorite, you know, players in the room. So it is a contract year for him. But, I mean, it's playoff time now. I'm just going to root and root that Zach Hyman can keep up his amazing play from the regular season up in the playoffs. Whatever happens with his contract, that's beyond my control. So I'm just going to enjoy Hyman while we have him.
1: We've got all offseason to talk about that. Right now we have him and right now he is an excellent player. He he just showed me so much that I didn't know he had this year. I I knew he he was able to, you know, get into the net, getting those kind of greasy goals, winning puck battles, fight getting gaining possession for the more skilled players, but he actually flashed the skill. Like he scored more goals off the rush this year than I've seen him do. He had that play in Edmonton where he danced Connor McDavid for a goal. And throughout all of that, he continued to be his extremely reliable self again by the goals above replacement metric he is an 89th percentile defensive player 78th percentile offensive player for an 84th percentile overall player he is he is as close to brendan gallagher as the leafs have maybe with a maybe with a little bit less of that like get under your skin mentality but he is uh he is just a, a really fun player to have on your team and and something that Sheldon Keith is probably begging Kyle Dubas to to extend.
0: Yeah, I mean, Zach Hyman just gives you so many options on this Leafs team. If he's on that first line, I think he should be one of the best lines in hockey. I don't know how many more times I need to say this in this podcast, but I'm <laughs> going to say it cuz it's true. He can move down to the third line and just provide like an elite shutdown element that, you know, can Provide a little bit of offense because, like you said, he is providing more offense this year than he has in the past. So I think he's just kind of that ultimate, um, like almost Joker card for for um, Sheldon Keith come playoff time because you can just put him anywhere and he's going to succeed. And that's actually we'll talk about that on the podcast, but I will drop a little hint that we might see him
1: move around in that series against Montreal. It wouldn't surprise me at all, and his versatility is honestly going to be monumental depending on the way the early games in that series go well now that we've handed out all the awards do you have any uh final thoughts on this thrilling game tonight
0: yeah no nothing else needs to be said about the game tonight we wrapped up you know kind of our highlights of the season and yeah that's about all that needs to be said on this evening
1: all right so with with that loss tonight like i said earlier the leafs you know finished the season 77 points in 56 games first in the division and it's time for the playoffs, and I think we are all ready for it. You and I, Lebda, we are especially ready for it. We cannot wait to record our Leafs Habs deep Dive Preview podcast tomorrow. So that should be out for you guys either late tomorrow night or early Sunday morning. And man, we've been we've been doing some research on it. We've been we've been preparing the takes. We've uh we're really excited about how this one's gonna turn out for you guys.
0: Yeah, guys, I uh, I don't like to, you know, sell stuff to our listeners or really try and, you know, be annoying, like promotion wise. But this upcoming playoff preview, we spent, you know, a lot of time researching it. We're We're going to really take our time recording it and really try and come up with like our best podcast yet for, you know, those who have listened kind of throughout and through on. So truly, like if you guys do enjoy this podcast or the next one, please remember to, you know, retweet it on Twitter, share it with your friends. Do all that kind of stuff. Just help gain a little bit of promotion and momentum. I'll give a little teaser. There's going to be no loser energy. No loser energy on our or in our playoff preview. Like,
1: None of that pathetically fan stuff here. We no. are not here for that. We are looking at the stats. We are looking at our team. And we have faith, baby. Now, one other thing I would like to tell you guys about too is we are going to be doing live streams after every playoff game on Twitch. And we're hoping to do so on YouTube as well. So keep an eye out for that. Check out our Twitter. We are at Buds all day cast on Twitter. Follow us there and we can uh, we can throw you guys the link with our with our Twitch, with our YouTube, all that good stuff. So, we hope to see you soon
0: and Go Leafs Go. Go Leafs Go, man. We're, we're we're really ramping up on this side of things for the playoffs. There's going to be lots of exciting content. So, like Quinn said, Twitter, YouTube, our podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever that is, keep uh hitting that, keep checking it out, keep telling your friends about it and uh, Go Leafs Go, baby. Buds all